Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the Margay sitting across from me is Ellen. Don't you know that I heard it through the grapevine? No, 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 I, I, I said Margay, not Marvin Gay. Oh, that still doesn't make sense. Look it up, they're adorable. Just like you. Aww. On that note, <laughs> let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 2, A Peck of Owls, and the absolutely no corresponding film scenes. Harry tries his best to explain everything to Vernon in his fish face, but the bag of assholes really earns his name by wishing the death penalty on his nephew. Dudley is still catatonic and even less useless than usual. Owls are way more persistent than bill collectors and aren't deterred by silly closed windows. And Petunia gets a verbal bitch slap when Harry's safety comes into question. During episode 120, clearly not clearly, our Potter pondering was, what would happen if you jacked a Dementor in the face? Hey Ellen, hey Katie, it's Jackson with this week's Potter Pondering. So, what would happen if you jacked a Dementor in the face? <laughs> Honestly, I personally think it wouldn't do anything. You know, it'd just continue trying to suck all the happiness out of you and attempt to kiss you. I mean, you would connect with something because Dementors do have a head, a face of some kind, but it just wouldn't affect it, I think. Did it just get on with its business? Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. Can I tell the Dementor to catch these hands? Hmm. I doubt it. I mean, they're kind of slimy. Slimy hands, slimy face. Might just kind of roll off. You know, the nasty little cheek. Mm. But I'd like to think that I have a better chance with the book Dementor since they don't fly around. I'd probably be able to, you know, sneak diss him or something, catch him while he ain't. Wait, they don't really look, but just... Well, then why can't I? They can't even see it coming. But anyway, I digress. I don't think it's possible. I was always under the impression of, especially when I was a child reading these, that it was more or less like a magical barrier or something. Or at the very least, they suck so much energy out of you, you had no strength to do much of anything. Anyone who can actually see a Dementor would know you can't sock it and win effectively. You know what I'm saying? That you would have to magic this motherfucker out. And muggles can't see him at all, so they wouldn't know where to swing, you know? It's kind of like they have their own defense mechanism of sadness. Oh, so depressing. Hey guys, Mike calling into the Potter Pondering. Just wanted to put in my two cents about whether or not you could punch a dementia in the face. For me, I feel like there's no reason that you couldn't punch a dementia in the face. I feel like it would probably do a little bit of something. But I feel like it'd be either like punching a pillow or one of those 
dolls weighted in the bottom so that every time you push it, it just slots right back up. At the same time, I feel like, A, Wizards didn't think of trying to punch Dementor. That seems a bit mundane for them. And also, I don't think that Muggles can actually see Dementors, right? And even if you did try to attack it that way, even while you were trying to punch it, it would still be sucking the happiness right out of you. So it would be a matter of, like, how many times could it punch it before you were down? As for punching it, like, Harry says that for some reason the Patronus is the only thing that works, but my question is, why wouldn't other spells work, you know? Like, why wouldn't I be able to Avada Kedavra Dementor, for instance? Would it die or not? Also, I feel like setting it on fire would be an effective defense. Probably wouldn't hang around too long if it was, you know, on fire and maybe had a few limbs missing. Yeah, those are my thoughts on that, and uh, thanks. Hey guys, it's McCallie here with this week's Potter Pondering. So I thought about what would happen if you jacked a Dementor in the face. You'd probably make it more angry and make it want to come after you more. It's sort of like when you make a lion or any other creature more angry, they really just want to come after you more. The Dementors are already vicious creatures, so... Hit them in the face and they become even more vicious than what they already are. Alright, that's all. Signing off. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, What is Hedwig eating when she returns to Harry's bedroom from hunting? Hedwig returns with a beak full of frog. Ribbit. Ribbit. (laughs) I don't think it was ribbiting anymore. I would hope not. But congratulations goes to... Jackson Miller. Woohoo! Again, Mike was right there answering too, and Michaela wasn't far behind. Is Mike gonna get in with the correct answer first? Is Michaela gonna beat her brother to the answer? We shall see. I can't wait. <laughs> For now, let's just keep rolling into chapter three the advance guard and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 3, The Advance Guard Harry writes three notes to each Sirius, Ron, and Hermione, explaining that he was just attacked by Dementors and possibly expelled, demanding to know what is going on and when he is going to get out of there. Hedwig is off hunting, and he impatiently waits for her return, feeling extremely tired, though his brain is too busy for sleep. His anger is increasing as he thinks through everything that happened, and still no one will tell him what is going on, and they keep treating him like he's some sort of naughty kid. He kicks his school trunk and now has to deal with pain in his toe, along with everything else. As he limps past the window, Hedwig finally soars through it and lands on her cage, her beak clamped on a dead frog. Harry tells her about time and ties the notes to her legs, instructing her to take them to Sirius, Ron, and Hermione and not to come back until they have written good, long replies. She hoots a response through her beak full of frog and takes off, leaving Harry feeling guilty that he was irritable with her since she's his only friend at Privet Drive. He flops down on his bed, planning to make it up to her when she gets back with their responses, expecting that they're bound to write back quickly because of the Dementor attack. But she isn't back the next morning and Harry spends the day in his room, only leaving to use the bathroom. Aunt Petunia shoves food through the cat flap in his door, but completely ignores his questions about the howler. This goes on for three days, 
leaving a restless Harry with nothing to do but stew about his upcoming hearing, worrying that he will be expelled and what he will do, wondering if he may be able to move in with Sirius. On the fourth night, his Uncle Vernon enters Harry's bedroom, dressed in his best suit, and informs him that they're going out and he's not to leave his bedroom, touch anything, or steal food from the fridge, and he's going to lock Harry's door. Harry dully agrees to everything, leaving Vernon very suspicious as he stomps out and locks the door. Harry listens as the Dursleys' car leaves the driveway, but doesn't really care if they're in the house or not. He continues to miserably lie in bed, and as he listens to all the sounds in the house, he hears a distinct crashing sound in the kitchen, followed by voices. He gets to his feet and snatches his wand, figuring it must be burglars, and sneaks out of his room. He heads to the stairs and sees eight or nine people standing in the shadowy hall below, looking up at him. A low, growling voice tells him to lower his wand before he takes someone's eye out, and Harry recognizes the voice, calling the speaker Professor Moody. Moody growls again that he doesn't know so much about the professor part since he never got around to much teaching, and asks Harry to come down there so they can see him properly. Harry slightly lowers his wand, but does not loosen his grip or move since he had recently spent nine months with an imposter that he thought was Moody, an imposter who then tried to kill him. It's a second voice that eases his nerves a little by explaining that they've come to take him away. Harry recognizes this voice as Professor Lupin's when an unfamiliar female voice asks why they're all standing in the dark. She lights her wand with Lumos, and Harry can see Professor Lupin at the front of the group, looking tired and ill, but smiling. The violet-haired witch holding her wand comments on how Harry looks just like she thought he would, and a bald black wizard tells Lupin that he was right. Harry does look like James. A wheezy-voiced wizard then mentions Harry's eyes, calling them Lily's eyes. Mad-Eye Moody is looking suspiciously at Harry through his mismatched eyes, and asks Lupin if he's sure it is Harry. Lupin asks his former student what form his Patronus takes, and when Harry nervously tells him that it's a stag, Lupin confirms that it's him. Harry tucks his wand into his back pocket and is yelled at by Moody for elementary wand safety, telling him not to store it in there. Lupin extends his hand to shake Harry's, who is in complete disbelief that any of this is real, after four weeks of nothing. He stutters that he's fine and tells them that they are lucky the Dursleys are out. The violet-haired woman laughs and explains that she lured them out of the way with a letter by Muggle Post that made them think they are heading to the prize-giving for the all-England best-kept suburban lawn competition. Harry imagines the look on Uncle Vernon's face when he realizes there is no competition and asks if they are leaving soon. Lupin explains that they are just waiting for the all-clear, and when Harry asks if they're headed to the burrow, he says no, telling Harry that they set up headquarters somewhere undetectable. He then introduces Mad-Eye Moody and Nymphadora Tonks, the violet-haired witch who does not want to be called Nymphadora and prefers to be called Tonks. He also introduces Kingsley Shacklebolt, Elphias Doge, Didalus Diggle, Emmeline Vance, Sturgis Podmore, and Hestia Jones. Harry nods to each one as they're introduced, and wonders why so many are there. Lupin comments on the surprising number of people who volunteered, and Moody explains that they are his guard. They have about 15 minutes before they can set off, so they all just hang out in the kitchen. 
Tonks comments on how clean these muggles are, but supposes it varies just like with wizards. Harry asks Lupin what's been going on, trying to ask about Voldemort, but is cut off when several of the witches and wizards gasp and Moody growls for him to shut up. Moody explains that it's too risky to talk about anything there and is then distracted by his magical eye sticking, saying it has ever since that scum wore it. He pulls it out and has Harry fetch him some water to clean it off before their trip. Harry asks how they're getting where they're going, and Lupin tells him that they will be using brooms, since it's really the only way. Kingsley mentions that Lupin said he is a good flyer, and Lupin again confirms that he is excellent, before sending Harry to pack up his belongings. Tonks offers to help and follows Harry back up the stairs to his room, looking around very curiously. She thinks the house is much too clean, and is relieved to see the mess in Harry's room. He starts hastily grabbing his belongings and tossing them in his trunk as Tonks looks at her reflection in the mirror. She decides that purple really isn't her color and asks Harry if it makes her look a bit peaky. Harry looks up, unsure of what to say, but doesn't have to say anything. Tonks screws up her eyes and magically changes her hair to bubblegum pink. Harry wants to know how she did that and she explains that she was born a metamorph magus and can change her appearance at will. It really helps her with her aura training, and she got top marks in concealment and disguise. Harry is impressed to learn that she's an auror, and asks if he can learn to be a metamorph magus, becoming completely distracted from his packing. Tonks figures he wants to hide his scar, but also tells him that he has to learn the hard way since they are very rare being born and not made. She tells him to get going with the packing, and Harry starts to grab more books. Tonks tells him not to be stupid, it'll be much quicker if she packs. She waves her wand as she says this, and all of Harry's belongings magically soar into the trunk, though not very neatly. She also uses Scourgeify on Hedwig's cage to clean it out a bit, but explains that she's never been very good at household spells. She makes sure Harry has everything and is very impressed by his firebolt. Using Locomotor Trunk, she magics it into the air and out the door. They follow it down the stairs and back into the kitchen. Lupin is finishing up a letter to explain things to the Dursleys, even though Harry knows they won't be worried. Moody does a disillusion charm on Harry to disguise him while flying, since keeping the invisibility cloak on will be tough, and then unlocks the back door so they can head out onto the lawn. Moody complains that the night is too clear, wishing they had more cloud cover, but then barks directions for flying in formation, telling them not to break ranks for anything, even if one of them is killed. Harry asks if that's likely, but Moody just ignores him and continues his instructions. Tonks teases him about being too serious, and while Moody tries to say that he's just telling the boy the plan, Kingsley cuts him off to reassure Harry that no one is going to die. Lupin points out the first signal and tells everyone to mount their brooms. Harry sees red sparks high up in the sky as he mounts his firebolts, and then as green sparks explode high above them, they all kick off from the ground. For a few glorious moments, Harry is so pleased to be flying away from Privet Drive, but then the higher and longer they fly, the more cold and uncomfortable he feels. Moody keeps having them change course as they fly on, and the rest of the guard rotates around Harry for protection. When he suggests doubling back to make sure they aren't being followed, Tonks screams at him for being mad, saying they're all frozen to their rooms and already nearly there. 
Lupin calls for them to start their descent and tells Harry to follow Tonks. Harry follows her into a dive towards a large collection of lights that materializes into individual headlights and street lamps as they fly closer. They land on a patch of grass in the middle of a small square, and Harry looks around at some extremely grimy and unwelcoming houses. He asks Lupin where they are, but Lupin tells him to wait a minute. Moody is rummaging through his cloak until he pulls out a silver cigarette lighter-looking item that he says he borrowed from Dumbledore. He clicks it multiple times, making the street lamps go out with each click and leaving them in darkness. He then leads Harry onto the pavement and gives him a piece of parchment to quickly read and memorize. Harry looks at the vaguely familiar narrow handwriting that says, The headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix may be found at number 12 Grimmauld Place, London. The movie section starts out with Vernon, Petunia, and a still-sick Dudley creeping toward their car at night. Petunia opens the rear car door and sneaks around to the other side as Vernon helps his son into the car, covering his face with a blanket as he pushes him into the back seat. He notices Mrs. Fig is watching them from her window and gives an awkward smile as he points to his son and mouths that he's not feeling well before closing the door. The scene then cuts to Harry in his bedroom as he frustratedly slams his fists against his wall next to Hedwig's cage. The motion causes her to whistle in irritation and a picture to fall off the dresser as well. Harry bends over to pick it up and apologizes to Hedwig before sitting down on his bed and setting the picture of his parents on his desk next to it. The camera briefly focuses on the picture of them before cutting back to Harry sitting dejectedly on the bed. The scene fades to black and transitions to a flashback of Cedric being killed and Voldemort returning to his body, before switching back to Harry as his eyes open, waking from the dream. He blinks and continues to lie in bed until he hears something falling over in another room. The sound startles him and he glances over towards it before reaching for his glasses on his desk. He puts them on, looks at the door, and hurries to his feet as he sees the key turning. He pulls out his wand as it falls to the floor, but before he can do anything, the door opens with a flash of a bright white light and a squawk from Hedwig. Harry blinks and a woman's voice whispers that the muggles are very clean. A very familiar sounding voice admonishes Tonks and then a purple-haired woman steps through the door, closely followed by Mad-Eye Moody and a few other wizards. Harry recognizes Professor Moody and asks him what he is doing there. Moody answers that they are rescuing him, of course, and the camera cuts to him leading the group out of the Dursleys' house as Harry hurries behind him, trying to get his questions answered. Moody explains that he hasn't officially been expelled and tells Kingsley to take point. Kingsley steps forward as Harry asks about what the letter says, and he takes over explaining to Harry that Dumbledore was able to persuade the Ministry to suspend the expulsion pending a formal hearing. The group lines up along the edge of the road as Harry asks about the hearing and Tonks leans forward to reassure Harry that they will explain everything once they are back at headquarters. Moody shushes her, calling her Nymphadora, which angers the witch, who demands that he not call her Nymphadora, as her hair magically changes colors to orange. Moody ignores this and bangs his staff on the ground twice. Tonks shakes her hair back out to purple as broomsticks fly towards them. They each catch theirs, and Moody tells them all not to break ranks if one of them is killed. The camera zooms in and then cuts to Mrs. Fig watching from her window as they all fly off. 
flying high above the city and then over the river. The camera then shows them flying down to just above the surface of the water and around several boats. Harry nearly flies into one before dodging it at the last second. They fly past the Palace of Westminster and back up into the sky disappearing into the night. The camera cuts to a view of some terraced houses partially through the trees and pans down as the garbage truck drives by and the group of wizards approach and open an iron gate across the street. They cross and stop on the edge of the road. Moody looks around and then begins to tap his staff on the ground again. So there are absolutely corresponding film scenes here. Mm -hmm. Though they are definitely streamlined quite a bit from the book. As per usual. There's also a few minor changes. Like they do. Mm -hmm. It's mostly streamlined. Except for the part where they also added some extra... um, Let's call it unnecessary excitement. So unnecessary. (laughs) But we will get to that. Ellen has thoughts. I have thoughts. (laughs) We'll get to my thoughts. The book starts out with Harry writing notes to the three most important people that should be giving him information but haven't been. Hmm. Sirius, Ron, and Hermione. Sure. Even though they probably know this by now, he knows Sirius does. He mm-hmm. tells them, hello, I was just attacked by Dementors. WTF. That was basically the letter. It's very succinct. Yeah. <laughs> basically, he wants to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Tell me, tell me now. When am I getting out of here? The fuck is going on here? Exactly. Yes. He wants to send these letters off immediately, but Hedwig's out hunting. Like she does. Yeah. Gotta eat. Mm-hmm. You know the statues of assholes aren't buying owl food. Shit, they barely buy Harry food. Right? (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, Harry is just pacing back and forth, getting really annoyed, thinking about everything that happened and just, you know, really stewing in it, raising his blood pressure, probably. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of extra stress. So the really big thing on his mind right now, aside from, you know, everything, is the fact that he's being treated like he's just some sort of naughty kid. He's naughty. Naughty. I don't think they meant naughty like that. I know, but I just can't help but hear it like that. That's fair. It is you. Yep. But anyway, in his anger, he decides to kick his school trunk. Something similar happens like this in the movie. Kind of, yeah. But yeah, so he kicks his school trunk and pretty much just hurts his toe. And I'm sure the trunk was just fine. Probably. So now he's limping back and forth across the window. Of course he is. Trying to continue his pacing, but his toe hurts. Until Hedwig finally soars through it. And she lands right on top of her cage with a frog clamped in her mouth. I mean, that was our trivia question, but... (laughs) Yep. But yeah, Harry gets a little shirty with Hedwig for taking so long out hunting when he just wants to send these notes and figure out what the fuck's going on. I mean, she's an owl. She's not a mind reader. Jesus. (laughs) Right? The hell's he expect from her? Apparently to not take so long hunting. Obviously. But anyway, Harry's frustrated that it took her so long and just immediately is like, about time and ties the notes to her leg. Like, take these to Sirius, Ron, and Hermione and don't come back until they've written good, long replies. I wouldn't hold my breath if I was Harry. Just saying. <laughs> just saying. Well, she doesn't seem to be too upset with him. I think she understands that he's going through some things because she just hoots her response and... She's got a mouthful of frogs still. (laughs) But she takes off flying and she goes to deliver the letters because Harry needs news. Don't we all? This, of course, makes Harry feel like shit because he just snapped at his one friend at Privet Drive. Well, I'm sure she understands. 
She is his friend. She is his friend. Mm-hmm. He then flaps down on his bed, figures he'll just fix it when she's back. I'll make it up to her. Get her some extra frog treats or something. Figuring that this is going to happen quickly. Mm-hmm. He thinks that his friends are going to write him back and he'll have nice long letters of explanation the next morning. Yeah, again, don't hold your breath. Definitely not, because next morning, no letters. Nope. So Harry ends up spending the entire day just hanging out in his bedroom, making no noise, pretending he doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. You know how that goes. He's good at it by now. Yeah. But this time he is allowed to leave his room to use the bathroom. I feel like in the past they used to just give him a bucket. Ew. But no, they just make him clean it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, we need to move on from this because I don't want to think about it anymore. (laughs) Sorry. Thankfully, they had previously installed that cat flap in Harry's door because that gave handbag of assholes a way to get Harry some food without having to look at his face. Oh, isn't that lucky? Yeah. Boy, thank God they thought about that. Not only does she avoid looking at him, she also just completely ignores any question he asks, which most of them are revolving around that howler. Well, I'm sure she got the advice to do that from her favorite magazine, Shitty Parenting Monthly. I am 98.7% positive that she writes in editorials for the opinion column. She's probably their number one author. Shit. (laughs) It might actually be her magazine. Yeah, that's why she (laughs) likes it so much. But anyway, this kind of behavior goes on for three days where he just leaves the room for the bathroom. And that is it. So he just hangs out and stews about the upcoming hearing. Like, what else do you do? Yeah. With no news, no people to talk to, not even your owl. Right? It would suck. Hell yeah. Can't even go outside? Fuck that noise. Am I expelled? Am I not expelled? How will this hearing go? What's going on? If I am expelled, what am I going to do? Maybe I could move in with Sirius. That wouldn't be so bad. But then if I'm not expelled, I want to go back to Hogwarts. Like, that's just everything that's got to be going through his mind. Not to mention the fact that he also has just the normal teenage hormones going on at the same time, too. Oh, he's a fucking mess. Boy needs therapy. All of the therapy. All of the therapy. And not from one of those ads that's in Shitty Parenting Monthly. Right. This monotony is interrupted on the fourth night in the form of bag of assholes arriving at Harry's bedroom dressed in his best suit. So, a shined up bag of assholes. Still produces shit. Fancy bag of assholes. Still bag of assholes. Mm -hmm. You can't polish a turd. And he's one of the turdiest turds that ever did turd. (laughs) (laughs) Turdenly. (laughs) But anywho... Bag of Assholes informs him that they're going to be going out. They, meaning he, his wife, and his son, mm-hmm. not Harry. And he's not to leave his bedroom. Harry's just laying there like, I haven't fucking left my bedroom in four days. What makes you think I'm going to start doing it again now? Oh, good. Something new and different for a change. Oh, wait. Hmm. It's the same fucking thing I've been doing. He also tells him not to touch anything or steal food from the fridge. The first thing I'm doing is I'm going into that fridge and I'm just licking everything. (laughs) Not taking anything. I'm just going to lick all of it. We had a whole wheel of cheese (laughs) and pooped in the fridge. I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. (laughs) But still, stay in your bedroom. Don't touch anything. Don't steal food from the fridge. And I'm going to lock you in. And Harry's just like, yeah, sure, whatever. You do that. (laughs) And this leaves bag of assholes very suspicious he's like why is he agreeing to this so readily i don't trust him but he stomps out and locks the door because that's what he said he was going to do and he's a bag of assholes he never trusts him anyway so why should this be any different 
There is that too. Harry just continues to lay in bed and mm-hmm. just listens as the Dursleys leave. And he doesn't really care one way or another if they're in the house, not in the house. He doesn't care if they're there or not there. Just whatever. Just leave me alone. As long as I don't have to talk to you, you can be wherever you want. Yeah. So he just lay in there, listening to all the sounds in the house. And then he hears one that's not normal to the house, especially with the house being empty. What could it be, pray tell? A crash in the kitchen. Hmm. Followed by voices that do not belong to the satchels of assholes. This is basically where the movie comes in, but also it's not how it happened in the movie. Never is. Nope. The movie section starts out with the assorted satchels of assholes slinking towards their car. Petunia leads the pack with a walk that just makes me understand why her flaps need aired out whenever she can. Like, I only walk like that when I'm having digestive issues. I'm just saying. (laughs) Anyway, she opens the back door of the car and then creeps around the front to get in on the passenger side while Vernon assists a still quite green and catatonic Dudley into the back seat while taking the towel that's around his neck and just putting it in front of his face and like shoving his face in the car (laughs) so that the neighbors don't see what's going on. Because heaven forbid. Yeah. Can't be seen as abnormal. Vernon spots Mrs. Fig standing in the window watching him. Like, I'm sure she does most of the time. Probably. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of what she was assigned to do. Mm -hmm. But he scrunches up his face in what some might call a smile, though I do believe the correct word for it is a grimace. Mm -hmm. Totally. Mm -hmm. While pointing at Dudley and mouthing that he's not feeling well. I love the way that his mouth overpronounces things mm-hmm. when he says that. Like, you can clearly read his lips. Yeah, you can see every word. And he does the grimace again, too. Mm-hmm. It's just so funny. Yeah, he does this just so Mrs. Fig doesn't think anything is actually wrong because heaven forbid. Also, heaven forbid, yeah. Yeah. If they only knew. Right. <laughs> We then see Harry in his bedroom, all pissed off and hormonal as he slams his fist against the wall right next to Hedwig. Which is kind of like him kicking the trunk. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Half ding. Half ding. Dong. Sure. Hedwig starts chirping in her cage like, what the fuck, guy? That was super uncalled for. As Harry bends over to pick up his parents' photograph that fell on the floor during his little tantrum. Like, urgh. And Hedwig's like, look what you did, you little jerk. <laughs> Knocked over your picture. Do you feel better now? Probably not, even. Probably not, no. Harry apologizes to Hedwig, though, so that was very nice of him. But Hedwig's just like, yeah, fucking right, you're sorry. I was sleeping. You came in here banging on walls? Dick? God, I'm so sick of living with a roommate. I need to get my own place. And so far, the main similar thing here is that Harry feels like an ass for being a dick to Hedwig. But it's not even for the same reason. No, not at all. Harry sits down on his bed all sad and pouty and puts the picture on his desk next to him. And we see Harry's parents dance happily for a moment before we're right back on Captain Moody Pants, who is just staring off into the distance as the scene fades to black. We then see flashbacks of Dedrick being made, and Harry screaming as Voldemort opens his creepy-ass white eyes after returning to his body before seeing Harry's eyes shoot open as he wakes from a really shitty nightmare that he's apparently been having for quite a while. Which we do learn in the book. He has those nightmares, so at least they sort of alluded to it. Well, they mention it in the movie, too. Yeah. You know, moaning in your sleep every night, you know. This is what he's talking about. That 
I would moan in my sleep if I was having those visions every night, too. Yeah, pretty miserable. But he blinks a few times before suddenly hearing a clatter, and he springs from his bed to see what's the matter. After reaching out for his glasses so he could see batter. Get it? I was rhyming. <laughs> I rhymed. I'm so poetic. Yay me. Yay you indeed. <laughs> this sort of lines it up with the book, since Harry is lying in bed, though not recently asleep and dreaming. Mm -mm. But he does hear a clatter and then some chatter. Then he gets to his feet to see what was the matter. I still like mine better. Mm-hmm. Yours is definitely better. He figures it's got to be burglars and just grabs his wand mm -hmm. and then sneaks to his door, which is locked. But when he's trying to listen at it to figure out what's going on, it just unlocks itself and opens. That's not creepy at all. I was kind of wondering if maybe he did some accidental magic. Mm, maybe. Like he might have been in danger and he was locked in his room. Yeah. Hadn't thought about that, but yeah. He walks out the now open door and peers down the stairs and sees eight or nine people standing down on the hall below. So it's a party. It's a party. And they're all <laughs> looking up at him. And he hears this familiar growling voice mm -hmm. call for him to lower his wand before he takes someone's eye out. And Harry's just like, Professor Moody? <laughs> that you? It's similar in the movie. He puts on his glasses and he gets into fighting position. Which, for Harry, just basically means holding his wand out in front of himself while looking dumbfounded. Yeah. We've come to know it quite well, I think. But the key in the door starts turning and then just drops to the ground. Yeah, in the book, the satchels of assholes locked Harry in the room, so I don't know why the key would be in the lock on the inside. Yeah, it doesn't make any damn sense to me either. But also, you gotta figure this is happening the same night as the Dementor attack in the movie. That's true. So technically, he was probably just sent to his room and they didn't actually lock him in. It was just, who knows? Harry could have locked them out. And Maybe. Like, fuck this noise. You stay the hell away from me, man. It's a far cry from when they used to lock him in the cupboard under the stairs. Yes. If he not only has his own room, he can lock them out. Yeah. Which I'm sure it goes both ways. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But in the movie, his bedroom door then opens with a flash as Harry continues to stand there like a bump on a goddamn log, just waiting to be killed with zero fight at all. Just standing there. Hell, even Hedwig at least lets out a squawk of like, the fuck? What the fuck? Exactly. Sounded just like that. Not exactly helpful, but I mean, it's better than Harry and his impersonation of Vernon's gaping open mouth fish face. Harry attempts to adjust his eyes after being damn near blinded, and he hears a woman whispering on the other side of the threshold about the unnatural cleanliness of these muggles. But the woman is cut off by a very gruff and familiar-sounding voice, basically telling her to shut the fuck up. Harry then sees a purple-haired witch stepping into his room, followed by the actual Mad-Eye Moody. Not Barty Crouch Mad-Eye Moody, <laughs> but actual Mad-Eye Moody, who Harry had technically never met. At least not as far as the movies go. Yeah. Plus three other people that Harry doesn't recognize. None of us do. <laughs> right. And this is similar, except that after the door opens on its own, Harry has left the room and sees the group at the bottom of the stairs. Like they don't come to his door. Mm -hmm. Also, Moody specifically points out that he doesn't know so much about the professor part mm -hmm. because he never got around to much teaching, as you already mentioned. Yeah. Harry never actually really met him. Mm-hmm. 
they sort of encountered each other in the book, but no specific introduction. Yeah. Certainly not the way Harry thought they knew each other. No. That's for sure. <laughs> but anyway, the actual Professor Moody, the mm-hmm. OG Professor Moody. Yes. Asks Harry to come downstairs so they can see him properly. And he slightly lowers his wand, but he's not loosening his grip because, like we already mentioned, he knew an imposter Moody who tried to kill him. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's in any hurry to be like, Moody, my man. Yeah. Let's I totally hug it out. trust you. <laughs> that one probably left some scars. Yeah. But he does move closer, especially after he hears a second familiar voice. It comes from Professor Lupin. Aw, Lupin. Lupin. We missed you. But yeah, Lupin's back. And after recognizing Lupin's voice, Harry then hears a third voice, although this one is not familiar, and it's a woman's. And she just wants to know why they're standing in the dark. Lights her wand with Lumos, and then Harry can actually see Professor Lupin, who's smiling at him from the front of the group. And he looks tired and ill, as usual, but happy. The witch with the wand lit has purple hair and makes a comment about how Harry looks just as though she imagined he would. And a bald black wizard tells Lupin that he was right. Harry looks exactly like James. And then a wheezy voiced wizard says, except for his eyes, he has Lily's eyes. Guys, we already covered that like two books ago. Oh, this is multiple times each book. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Mad-Eye Moody, being Mad-Eye Moody, is looking at Harry very suspiciously. Mm-hmm. Because he's Mad-Eye Moody. Yeah, he's suspicious of everyone. And he asks Lupin if he's sure that is actually Harry. <laughs> so Lupin's like, what form does your Patronus take? And Harry's like super nervous, even though he knows the answer. He's like, it's a stag. <laughs> That's like anything. When you get a pop quiz, you're just like... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's that pressure. <laughs> but Lupin's just like, yes, this is definitely Harry. So Harry's just like, okay, that's Lupin. That's Moody. I'm okay. And he tucks his wand into his back pocket and immediately gets yelled at by Moody, who's like, hello, elementary wand safety. Don't (laughs) store it in there. Better wizards than him have lost buttocks. (laughs) And the violet haired woman is extremely interested to know who Moody knows that's lost a buttock. And I'm extremely interested to know why the fuck this wasn't included in the movie. Because they don't love us or want us to be happy. We've discussed this, Ellen. How amazing would this have been? Yeah. Although it does kind of make me wonder if Moody is the one with the prosthetic buttock. I mean, it would explain the limp, right? (laughs) But would it be buns of steel or would he have like a wooden one like his leg? I would say buns of steel, but S-T-E-A-L, because he takes them from his vanquished enemies. Like, what's going on, Moody? Why do all the murder munchers you capture come in with half their butts blown off? That gives a whole new meaning to playing grab ass. They'd have to start calling him Mad-Eye Booty. (laughs) Like, Moody the Booty. Moody the Booty. Yeah, and the murder munchers he catches are booty collars. then i don't know moody's really dedicated he wouldn't do anything half-assed it's not his way it's not (laughs) moody the booty mad eye booty anyway lupin goes to shake harry's hand and harry's just like uh is this possibly real it's been four weeks of nothing and they're all here Mm -hmm. and i do want to point out that eight or nine of them not five yeah 
It was a whole guard, man. That's what they were. They were his guard. Mm-hmm. Harry manages to say that he's fine. And he's like, man, you're all really lucky that the Dursleys are out. And this makes the violet-haired woman laugh. And she's just like, they're out because I lured them away. I wrote them a letter through muggle posts that made them think they're headed to the prize giving for the All England Best Kept Suburban Lawn Competition. And you know she's so proud of this. This was probably her idea. <laughs> the fact that she felt the need to say the whole thing. She made all of this up and was super pleased with herself. I wonder what that's like to be around someone who does that. My hair's purple, too. I love you. This obviously didn't happen in the movie, as they streamlined it to be the same night that Harry and Dudley were attacked by Dementors, and the satchels of assholes were just out at the hospital instead of it being four nights later. Yeah. And... I think it honestly did streamline it pretty well. Because mm-hmm. in the book, it just mentions how Harry imagines the look on Vernon's face when he realizes there is no all England best kept suburban lawn competition. <laughs> and honestly, that's just some fun color, especially since we never actually find out how the Dursleys felt about that. Yeah. Though I'm sure we could totally imagine their reactions. You know what? That should totally be our Potter pondering. How do you think the Dursleys reacted when they found out there was no All England Best Kept Suburban Lawn Competition? Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, Harry can imagine it. Mm-hmm. He does imagine it. And he's just like, um, I don't want to be anywhere near here when they find out and come home. So are we leaving like five minutes ago? Yeah. Can we go now? And Lupin's like, we just have to wait for the all clear and then we are out of here. So Harry's like, are we going to the burrow? And Lupin's like, no, we've got headquarters set up somewhere undetectable. And Harry's just like, headquarters? Ooh. But he doesn't really get to start asking questions now because Lupin distracts him by making an introduction of his very large guard. Sure. Starting with Mad-Eye Moody, which was weird because Harry's just like, I kind of already know you, but I don't. Mm-hmm. And then Nymphadora Tonks, who immediately gets angry for being called Nymphadora. And Lupin's like, let me finish. Nymphadora Tonks, who prefers to be known by her surname, Tonks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was kind of a moment in the movie. We'll get to it yeah. in a minute. But Lupin also introduces Kingsley Shacklebolt, who is the bald black man. Mm-hmm. Elpheus Doge, Daedalus Diggle, Emmeline Vance, Sturgis Podmore, and Hestia Jones. Those are excellent names. I know. They're great. <laughs> Harry nods to each one as they're introduced, and he's just thinking to himself, why are there so many? And it's like Lupin can read his mind because he just says, a surprising number of people volunteered to be your guard. Again, similar, but streamlined in the movie. There's no real introductions because Lupin's not there to make them. Which is just, right? But Harry just realizes who he's looking at and asks what the hell they're doing there. Moody tells him that they obviously showed up to bask in some of that lovely muggle hospitality that his uncle is known for. Why the fuck do you think he's there, Harry? Like, we're here to save your ass as per usual. Duh. Duh. Seriously. No, he's back at Grimmauld Place. (laughs) (laughs) They have about 15 minutes before they can set off, so they're just kind of chilling in the kitchen. Tonks makes a comment on how clean the muggles are, but also supposes it varies, just like with wizards, because some people are messy, some people aren't. This did get referenced in the movie, since she made the comment in passing as Harry's door opens. Yeah. So there's that. But at this point, the book again gives more details and a hint of a trip to the Department of Backstory. None of that in the movie. (laughs) 
Harry asks Lupin what's been going on with Voldemort, but several of the people in his guard all gasp. And Moody's just like, shut up, man! <laughs> he explains that it's too risky to talk about anything there, and then gets distracted by his magical eye sticking in his eye socket. And he pulls it out, and it's just like, damn it, it's been sticking ever since that scumwort! So there's the little trip to the Department of Backstory. Again, we are reminded that Harry only knew Moody as Barty Crouch Mm -hmm. Jr. You're just expected to remember that for the movie, so it's never really brought up. Yeah, but he has Harry bring him some water and he just like plops his eye in the water to clean it off and starts spinning. And Tonks is just like, you know, that's disgusting, right? (laughs) Gotta do what you gotta do. You gotta do what you gotta do. Harry's kind of oblivious to all of this because he just wants news of any kind. And mm-hmm. he's just like, well, how are we getting where we're going? And Lupin explains that they have to fly because it's pretty much the only way. Every other way is going to be monitored by the ministry. They can't apparate. They can't use a port key. They can't use blue powder. Mm-hmm. It pretty much just leaves flying. Yeah. They can't take him on the night bus. No. Too many paper trails. Yep. Can't have a paper trail. Kingsley tells Harry that Lupin says he's a good flyer. And then Lupin's again like, yeah, he's excellent. Mm-hmm. You need to go pack. We don't have time for this chit chat. Go get your shit. We'll talk later. We'll talk later. And Tonks offers to help. I think she really just wants to explore the house a little bit more. So she follows Harry back up to his room and just like, this house is just much too clean. This is really weird. And then they get inside Harry's room. She's just like, oh, much better. Because <laughs> Harry spent the last four days just living in his own filth. Mm-hmm. Sounds like me. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, he starts just grabbing all of his things and just throwing him into his trunk, just not caring about anything. And Tonks is distracted from helping him by her own reflection in the mirror. She's like, I don't think purple's my color. Do you think it makes me look a little peaky? And Harry's just there like, uh, how do I answer this question? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Abort, abort, abort. <laughs> there is no way for him to answer that. This is a trap. This is such this is a trap. A trap. <laughs> so he's just like, uh, but she doesn't even need an answer because he just goes, yeah, too peaky. And she screws up her eyes and all of a sudden her hair turns to a bubblegum pink. We do get a hint of that in the movie a little bit during the scene, but no real explanation for why she can do that. Yeah. Book Harry wants to know how and we get a full explanation back. She explains that she was born a metamorph magus and can just change her appearance at will whenever she wants. That is my dream life. How fucking cool would that be? Oh. It's something that really helped her with her aura training and she brags about being able to get top marks in concealment and disguise without having to study at all. Oh well, yeah, I bet. Harry's super impressed to learn that she's an aura because this is something he's kind of been thinking about in the back of his mind ever since imposter Moody told him he should. Mm-hmm. And starts asking questions about being a metamorph magist, wanting to know if you can learn how to do that. Getting completely distracted from his packing. And Tonks is like, I bet you'd love to hide that scar, wouldn't you? And Harry's just like, yeah. (laughs) Yes, please. But she tells him that he's got to learn how to do it the hard way because metamorph magises are born, not made. And she tells him to get moving with the packing and he starts grabbing things again. But this time she's not distracted by her reflection. And she was just like, don't be stupid. It'll be faster if I do it. And she just waves her wand over his stuff and it just sort of like flies up in the air and soars into the trunk. It's not really neat or anything, but it's all in the trunk now. Mm -hmm. But I kind of wonder about this, too. She just did magic and Harry has the trace. Yeah. 
I would love to know a little bit more about how the trace works because when Dobby did magic, Harry's trace picked it up and they thought he did the magic. Mm-hmm. So if it can't identify who's doing the magic, that means the ministry would have to know that somebody is near Harry Potter doing magic. Theoretically, yeah, you would think. But maybe it couldn't identify elf magic and it can't identify other wizard magic? I know that the author has talked about it in the past. Well, I remember reading that when it comes to magic done around minors in magical households, it can't identify who's doing it. Yeah. So they just assume that the parents are enforcing that expectation. Mm -hmm. That is not fair at all. No, it's not. Because then magical kids can totally get away with using magic in their magical household, whereas muggle-borns just can't. Yeah. There's a lot of extra practice they could get, and there's right. a lot of extra stuff they could do that just... I feel like maybe they could give them a prescribed list of magic they are allowed to do, as long as it's not in front of muggles or something. You would think. But not really the point. I just kind of wondered about that, because she clearly did magic in front of him, right mm-hmm. near him, and the impression I've always gotten is the trace will pick that up. Yeah. We should probably make this a pondering, too. But anyway, Tonks is helping him pack. Mm-hmm. She also uses Scorchify to clean out Hedwig's cage. And it clears up some of the droppings and feathers, but not really. And she's just like, yeah, that's a little bit better. <laughs> I've never been very good at the household spells. Mm-hmm. She'd also mentioned how her mom was really good at them and used to be able to get socks to fold themselves and stuff. Oh, that'd be awesome. And she did like a little wiggle of her wand and the sock like lifted in the air and kind of bleh, bleh, and it just didn't do anything. <laughs> Some are just domestically challenged. Some are. But Tonks makes sure that Harry has everything packed, confirms that both buttocks are still on. Mm-hmm. And then asks where his broomstick is. And when she sees that he has a firebolt, she's just like, a real firebolt? Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I love Tonks. She then uses locomotor trunk and magics it up in the air, out the door, and they just follow it floating right down the stairs. Mm-hmm. Back into the kitchen, where Lupin is writing a note to the Dursleys, explaining where Harry went so they don't worry. And Harry's just yeah. like, don't worry. They won't worry. Because that was ever going to be an issue. <laughs> Moody then does the disillusionment charm on Harry so that he can be disguised while they're flying because it's going to be really hard for him to actually keep his invisibility cloak wrapped around him while on a broomstick and the wind's all flapping around him. Just random limbs start showing right? themselves. <laughs> Why does this leg keep appearing and disappearing? What the <laughs> fuck is happening? Unidentified flying appendages. UFAs. <laughs> But this disillusionment charm is really freaking cool because Harry just basically turns into a chameleon Mm -hmm. and he turns the color of everything behind him, essentially. That'd be awesome. He just like blends in with the scenery. I would have so much fun with that. That's the charm that Dumbledore can do so well. He is effectively invisible. Mm -hmm. Moody is apparently pretty good at it, too. But he then unlocks the back door and they go out onto the lawn and they wait for the signal. Moody starts complaining that the night is too clear because he wants more cloud cover to hide them so that nobody notices them. I'm going to reiterate that. He does not want them to be noticed. (laughs) What are you getting at, Ellen? Hmm. What am I getting at? Is there a contradiction coming? Is Hmm. there ever? (laughs) But he begins barking directions for them about flying in formation, tells them not to break ranks, and if one of them is killed... Harry's just like, is that likely? (laughs) And Moody doesn't answer this. 
He just continues his instructions, mm-hmm. and Tonks is like, stop being so cheerful, Mad-Eye. He'll think we're not taking this seriously. Moody's over here like, I'm just telling the boy the plan, and Kingsley's like, nobody's going to die. Famous last words, but okay. This time. Yeah. <laughs> the movie... Well, the movie extremely streamlines things here. Extremelines. Extremelines, <laughs> very much so. Harry doesn't even get to pack. He leaves with only the clothes on his back and a song in his heart. That's it. That's all he's taken with him. Though as he follows Moody out the front door, he does continue to pester the shit out of him with questions about where they're going and should he use the potty before they leave and why is the sky blue and where do babies come from? Are we there yet? That too, yes. Are we there yet? (laughs) Moody ignores most of Harry's stupider questions, but does tell him that he hasn't officially been expelled from Hogwarts just yet, and then calls for a man named Kingsley to take point. Which is the closest we get to an introduction to Kingsley. Apparently we don't need any more than that. The character that needs no introduction! Yes. (laughs) But Harry is still playing catch-up and asks what the fuck that means, since that's not what the super confidential letter told him out loud earlier. Unless you are reading the book, in which case there was a second letter that already explained that. Mm Mm-hmm. In the movie, the man Moody referred to as Kingsley takes the reins and tells Harry that Dumbledore got the ministry to hold off on expelling him pending a legit hearing. That's like a quarter ding. Mm Mm-hmm. A dang. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone lines up along the road while Harry is just like, the fuck? A hearing? Tonks leans towards him and tells him to just chill his shit because everything will be explained at headquarters. And Moody, the most paranoid man in all of England, as we've talked about. Although, kind of earned. Mm-hmm. You get polyjuiced for one year and all of a sudden you can't turn your back on anyone. <laughs> but he tells her to shut the fuck up and calls her Nymphadora, which is the right way to go for a smacked bottom. Because... Her hair suddenly just shifts to this bright, fiery orange color, and she tells him not to call her that. Which is both the closest we get to an introduction to Nymphadora Tonks, mm-hmm. and the hint of her metamorph magus abilities that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Although this made it seem more like it was tied to her emotions and not something that she could control. Yeah, it didn't really seem like she meant to do that. It was kind of a like, oh, don't miss this one off. She gets fiery. Right. Not that that matters to Moody, because he really couldn't give a shit what she does or does not want to be called. And he simply bangs his staff on the ground twice. Tonks shakes her head and her hair reverts back to its super normal shade of purple. Which, again, goes into the, can she control it or not? The fuck? Right. But this is just as everyone has issued their broomsticks from the sky. They just appear out of nowhere. they're out of nowhere. But Moody tells them not to break ranks, even if one of them gets killed. So... Goes back to the book a little bit. And that just really sets a good tone for the entire night, I guess. Oh, yeah. Off to a great start there. Mm -hmm. It's also an extremely streamlined version of his book speech. And no one reassures Harry that death is not likely. Probably because in the movie, it really could be. Oh, my God. (laughs) I can't even with this next part in the movie because it was nothing like this in the book. (laughs) So in the book, Lupin points out the first signal and Harry looks up in the sky and he sees the red sparks and everybody mounts their broom. 
to get ready. And then the green sparks go off in the sky and they all take off flying. Mm -hmm. At first, Harry is just completely thrilled to be on his broom in the air, flying away from number four Privet Drive and the satchels of assholes. I think anyone would feel that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But before long, he's freezing. He's uncomfortable on his broom because it cannot be comfortable to sit on a stick for that long. (laughs) Yeah. And then on top of that, Moody's just like, switch this direction, switch this direction. We need to go up into this cloud. And Tonks is like, are you kidding me? We can't fly through a cloud. We're going to be fucking soaked if we do that. And then he's like, okay, now we need to double back for a while to make sure we're not being followed. And Tonks is again just like, are you mad, Mad-Eye? We're all frozen to our brooms. We're nearly there. Just let us get there. It's kind of in his name, though. Well earned. Well earned. Mm-hmm. So Lupin just kind of takes command, and he's just like, no, Harry, follow Tonks in the descent. We're done. We're landing. <laughs> so Harry follows Tonks into a dive towards the largest collection of lights that he's seen the whole time because they're up in the sky and they can see little clusters of lights of all of the cities that they flew over. Mm -hmm. And this one is the largest. So this is clearly a big city. And then all of the lights reveal themselves to be headlights and street lamps and stuff as they all get closer. Mm -hmm. City lights. City lights. The huge. Yeah. They land on a patch of grass, which is in the middle of a square of a really icky neighborhood harry looks around and just sees these super grimy unwelcoming houses and he's like what are we doing here Mm -hmm. and that's all that is the whole story of their travel from privet drive to here just a few sentences nothing crazy kind of cold moody's paranoid Yeah, okay. <laughs> 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 oh my god. It's so funny because that's not at all how it happened in the movie. Ugh. We get a glimpse of cute little Miss Fig once again watching from her window. I don't even think it was once again. I think she's been standing there the I entire was gonna say, night. Yeah. Because again, it's all the same night. It's all the same night. So she's just chilling at the window still watching as they all fly away. And then we get to some real grade A fuckery right here. (laughs) We start off okay, flying high above the city, but they go over the river and things get quite a bit dodgy at this point. They keep dipping lower and lower on their brooms until they're literally like just above the surface of the water, So they're basically street level at this point where anyone could fucking see them. And you know people saw them. Of course. I mean, they're flying around boats like the fucking HMS Belfast and generally giving absolutely zero fucks as to who sees them. In the book, they fucking disillusioned him. This was supposed to be a completely covert operation, but Yates completely forgot the sea, and this was the most obviously overt operation of any occasion. Yeah, obviously overt operation. And Harry, being the dumbass that he is, is so busy looking at Tonks that he damn near flies into a boat. A fucking boat. Just barely missing it at the last second. So yeah, like, death was damn near likely with the fucking risks they were taking. (laughs) Then, 
that's not enough. They fly under the Lambeth Bridge, past the Houses of Parliament, and off into the horizon. Like, the fuck? Why? Yates! Ew, David. Ew, David. Ugh. I mean, it does sort of line back up with the book after all that fuckery, so there's that. Sort of. We then see a row of townhouses through the trees across the street as a garbage truck passes by. Once it rounds the corner, Moody and his crew emerge from the trees through the garden gate. Not looking suspicious at all. Nope. Not at all. Nope. But they get to the other side of the road, where after checking the surroundings, Moody taps his staff on the ground three times. Because heaven forbid somebody sees him tap his staff. <laughs> That's what I was just going to say. <laughs> after flying past boats at eye level. Yes. Oh no, I can't let anyone see me tap my staff. Mm-hmm. This is also, again, different from the book. What? And this obviously couldn't happen since Lupin wasn't there in the movie. But in the book, Harry asks Lupin where they are. Mm -hmm. And Lupin's just like, hold on a minute. Moody is rummaging through his cloak and he pulls out a silver cigarette lighter looking deluminator that he borrowed from Dumbledore. Mm -hmm. Though at this point, we still think it's called a put outer. Yes. Well, the last time we saw it was Sorcerer's Stone. So. Yeah. And they called it a put-outer. It was a put-outer. But just like Dumbledore did, bam, magic. Moody clicks it multiple times and all of the street lamps go out, leaving them in the dark so they can still be covert because mm -hmm. they care about that in the book. Don't want to be seen. He leads Harry onto the pavement in front of some of the grimy houses and gives him a piece of parchment to read and memorize quickly. He's like, read this. Memorize it. <laughs> And Harry looks at a very familiar looking narrow handwriting and reads the headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix may be found at number 12 Grimmauld Place, London. So no staff banging. No staff banging. Mm -mm. But we will actually end up talking a little bit more about that change next week since... This is where the book and movie sections both end. But since there are movie scenes, we do have some actors to talk about. We do. We see Brendan Gleeson return as Mad-Eye Moody, except this time he's actually acting as Mad-Eye Moody and not Brendan Gleeson pretending to be David Tennant, pretending to be Barty Crouch Jr., pretending to be Mad-Eye Moody. That was just a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he played it pretty much the same, so... Essentially, that means that Barty Crouch Jr. was just a really good actor. I would go with that. He was diabolical. Mm-hmm. I know Max would approve. Right? But also, he was just so moody. Mm-hmm. He is really an excellent Mad-Eye Moody. Yeah. He really is. Didn't get to do a ton. Yeah. I'm still so mad we didn't get to hear him say the line about the buttock. We didn't get Moody Booty. We did not get Moody Booty. No Mad-Eye Booty. No. Oh. It's very upsetting. It is. But I do want to say that... Brendan Gleeson is a fantastic actor. And oh, God. Yeah. The few lines that he did get during this scene were expertly growled. Mm -hmm. He has such a great, like, timbre to his voice. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's so Mad-Eye Moody. It like, is so Mad-Eye Moody, though I am genuinely disappointed that we didn't get the buttock comment. I'm not gonna, yeah. I can't let it go. You guys are going to see a meme of it next week. Because we had to. We had to. We yeah. did. We also got to meet Natalia Tenna as Don't Call Me Nymphadora or Tonks. Mm -hmm. She is really awesome. And it took me a long time to actually really appreciate her as Tonks. But I've seen other things that she's been in and I just love her to death. Yeah, I think that I initially had trouble with her as Tonks because 
I was looking for that bubblegum pink hair. Mm-hmm. Even the purple hair that she had. I thought it would be more vibrant purple. Right. They called it violet in the book. Yeah. That is typically more vibrant than what it was. Her hair is kind of the color mine is now. It's yeah. a little bit more subtle of a purple. Mm-hmm. And it looked really good on her. Maybe they were just trying to go for those subdued hues to go with the darkness of the yeah. movie and whatever. I'm sure that was part of it. I think the bigger thing, too, is they hate us and they don't want us <laughs> to be happy. There is definitely that, too. But for what she was given, she did really well. I think she got a little bit more tonksy in the next scene. Yes, definitely. I don't really like movie tonks just because they did her so dirty. Yeah. Especially in future movies. But as an introduction to her, I do really like her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, all of that, not Natalia Tana's fault. No, it is not. But I do wish that we could have heard her ask Mad-Eye Moody who he knew that lost a buttock. We just need more buttock. We need more buttock. I just love the fact that she's singular. Mm -hmm. Just one buttock. (laughs) (laughs) But we can also talk about her a little bit more when she gets to do more than just whisper a line and turn angrily orange-haired. Yes. The last new actor that we got to meet was George Harris as Kingsley Shacklebolt. Oh my god, he's just exactly how I imagined Kingsley. Right? The casting on that was, was perfect. Spot on. It really was. I think we also got bilked out of a lot of his great moments, too. Oh yeah. At this point, it can almost go without saying that when you have a character in Harry Potter, they got bilked out of some of their best stuff yeah. in the movie. But it's not going to go unsaid, because we're saying it, and the poor guy got bilked. And as a result, we got milked. Mm-hmm. But I absolutely love his voice. Mm-hmm. It's just slow and measured and deep and exactly how I imagine Kingsley Shacklebolt to sound. Yeah. And his accent is a- oh, oh, it's amazing. Oh, yeah, it's great. And again, we have a few more moments with him throughout the course of this. Mm-hmm. One in particular that I think we can discuss him a little bit more as it comes up. Yes, definitely. That'll bring us to this week's Potter Ponderings. We do actually have two this time. Mm-hmm. Our first one is, how do you think the Dursleys reacted when they realized there was no all-England best-kept suburban lawn competition? And then also, do you think that the ministry can tell if a person who is doing magic near someone with the trace is allowed to do magic or not? Hmm. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts, or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. And then don't forget, you can also stitch your response on our TikTok video. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Max Nash. He writes, I'm Max. I'm a Slytherin and my wand is a 12-inch pinewood wand with a dragon heartstring core, rigid flexibility. My Patronus is a goshawk. Like my sisters and most of my friends when I was a child, I had the Harry Potter stories read to me and had the films played almost daily at home from when they first came out on video. I was three when the Philosopher's Stone film got released. When I was a little older but still learning to read, my mum made me read the books myself. And because I was so reluctant to read anything, she would put on the audio tapes read by Stephen Fry for me to read along to. I always had a strong memory for events in the books and so found rereading them quite dull. 
so I only ever had my interest in the wizarding world rekindled when a new film came out, or when the extra books were released. I didn't realize how important the stories were to me until I had left school and gone to university, where I struggled to get along with people and was desperately looking for a group of people I could fit in with. It was during the early months when I didn't have much to do outside my student halls that I decided to read all the books that I had brought from home, all of them being my favorite children's books. I didn't get to Harry Potter right away, and when I did, I found that all of my memories of the books were different. I'd never been more obsessed with anything in my entire life, and for the next two weeks, I read it every breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'd forgotten about trying to fit in and any social anxiety. I had rediscovered a whole world that was wonderful and perfect for me. It wasn't much later that I found the Harry Potter books were the best bonding tool available at university, a great way to make friends in England as we had all grown up thinking that any day we would get our letter inviting us to Hogwarts. I even remember asking my parents when the letter would come, and they always replied saying it would come on my 11th birthday. Obviously, by that time I realized I wouldn't be going to Hogwarts but I cherished the memories of growing up sure in the knowledge that I was a wizard, learning to make butterbeer, getting my first wand, and pretending to play Quidditch on a hockey stick in the sitting room when Harry Potter was on the TV. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Max. Yes, thank you. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. You can also message it to us over social media or just comment with it on our Sorting Hat Saturday post. Mm-hmm. That'll bring us to this week's trivia question, which is, what does the umbrella stand at number 12 Grimmauld Place look like it was made from? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word, hashtag darkest of wizards, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at justkeeprolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Make sure to check out our website at justkeeprolling.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to help us continue creating more content, you can support us as a patron and get extra perks on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. We also just want to take a minute to send out a special message to our keeper, Quincy, because today is his birthday. It is, and we are very glad that this day happened. Oh, for sure. Quincy, we love you, and we are so happy that we can call you a friend. Yes. And join us next week when we talk about the first half of Chapter 4, Number 12, Grimmauld Place, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just, just keep, keep rolling. rolling.